I'm thankful that we serve a God who is merciful and gracious and long-suffering. And none of us know, only Jesus does, the condition of Christie's heart when she breathed her last. But I know we serve a gracious and a loving God who is faithful. He's faithful. Would you bow your heads with us, with me this morning? Lord, grant us the gift of understanding by which your precepts may enlighten our minds. Grant us counsel by which we may follow in your footsteps on the paths of righteousness. Grant us courage by which we may ward off the enemy's attacks. Grant us knowledge by which we can distinguish good from evil. Grant us piety by which we may acquire compassionate hearts. Grant us fear by which we may draw back from evil and to submit to what is good. Grant us wisdom that we may taste fully the life-giving sweetness of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. When the war with Ukraine began just a couple weeks ago, I saw several stories about signs in Ukraine, and I have no idea what that sign says, so hopefully it's nothing bad. But the Ukrainians were changing road signs in Ukraine. They had hopes of confusing the Russian soldiers as they began to infiltrate Ukraine. It's kind of crazy to think that in 2022... There's still people who are not depending on GPS, like some of you. But they're, 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 it, it's crazy for us to realize that, to think that. But apparently the Russian GPS capabilities are, are not as sophisticated as ours. And so they were depending, some Ukrainians were trying, and this particular road sign, my understanding, is that it was giving false directions. I don't know how effective that strategy was, but I do know that when it comes to us navigating the journey of life, we need clear direction, don't we? We need a guide to direct our steps, to lead us in the paths of righteousness, to lead us in the good way. And Jesus promised us, of course, we know, he promised us that he would give us the spirit of truth. And he told us that he wouldn't speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you things that are to come. That was the promise of Jesus concerning his spirit. He promised that the spirit would give us leadership and direction. He would guide us into all truth. Well, what does that mean? And does that mean then that he will only guide us into rows, roads and pathways that lead to sunshine and roses? No, sometimes, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, sometimes he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death. But even in those times, 
We can fear no evil because He's with us. Amen? When it comes to the Holy Spirit guiding us and how that works in our lives, I think we really need to look no further than to the example of Jesus. Because last Sunday I talked to you from from Luke chapter 3, and I, I reminded you of how Jesus is both fully God and fully man. He wasn't just a man who was adopted by God at his baptism, and neither did he only appear to be a man, No, Jesus Christ is the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation He came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. I talked to you last Sunday about how Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. That's us. At his baptism, he he was numbered with the transgressors. He didn't need to be baptized because he was sinful, but he was baptized because he was numbered with us as one who was fully man. And the Father was well pleased at his baptism. And the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus. Then we saw from Luke 3 the genealogy of Jesus. He was thought to be the son of Joseph. Going all the way back to Adam. And Luke utilizes the genealogy to show us some of what I want to talk to you about this morning. So look with me at Luke chapter 4. I promise we're not talking about the genealogy again. But I want you to see why he was using this in part. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For forty days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Can anybody say amen? All right. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, did you notice at the beginning here of chapter 4, it begins with Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit. And and some versions, the way they start chapter 4, like your New King James Version, says, Then Jesus... Well, when's it talking about? Immediately after he was baptized, then Jesus 
being full of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Spirit had descended on him at his baptism. And he's full of the Holy Spirit. And he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Sometimes the Spirit of God leads us into dark places. And that doesn't mean you failed God. Now, as you know, the chapter and the verse divisions weren't in the original. They're there to help us find our place in the Bible. But they're, they're not in the original uh, Greek when it was written. And sometimes they can cause us to separate things that are happening in one chapter. And then in the next chapter, we kind of forget about the previous chapter. But the point is, the context here is that this is immediately after Jesus' baptism. And now... The Spirit is leading Jesus into the wilderness. Now, there's something else that I want you to see here, and that is, I, I talked to you a little bit last Sunday about how that Jesus is the second Adam, and the second Adam is greater than the first Adam. And I believe Luke uses the genealogy going all the way back to Adam to then show us Something about the temptation of Jesus in comparison to the temptation of Adam. And let me just remind you, Adam, when he was tempted, he was tempted in the middle of a beautiful paradise. Where was Jesus tempted? He's tempted in the wilderness. In fact, the name for the place where Jesus was tempted, it means the devastation. It was an uninhabited wilderness place, desolate, monotonous, just kind of wasteland. And there in the middle of this wilderness, Jesus is tempted. But Adam was tempted in the middle of the beautiful garden. When Adam was tempted, he had the companionship of the woman who was made for him and from him. But Jesus is all alone when he's tempted. Think back to some of your strongest temptation experiences. Often they come when we're all alone. And there in our solitude comes the tempter. And that's what happened with Jesus. But Adam wasn't alone. When Adam was tempted, he had a full stomach. He had, he had to eat free access of anything in the garden except for one tree. But when Jesus was tempted, he'd been fasting for 40 days without food. And it was at that moment that Satan attacked. Now some of you here this morning, you may be like me, your stomach's growling and your eyes are heavy. Maybe perhaps how Jesus felt. Only he'd been fasting for 40 days. And along comes the tempter. And we see here in Jesus' temptations, there's three temptations. And the first one has to do with provision. The devil comes to Jesus and he says, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Now Jesus had a God-given genuine, natural need. Food. And for 40 days, he'd been without food. 
And again, remember, Jesus' body is not docetic. Remember docetic Gnosticism I talked about last week taught that Jesus' body only appeared to be human. No, he was fully human. And in his humanity, he's at the point of starvation. They say the human body can only go about 40 days before you starve to death. And Jesus is weak. And he's hungry. And after all, what would be so wrong with Jesus turning stones into bread? After all, if he's the Son of God, surely he could do that. Now notice that key word there, if. That's what the devil came to Jesus and said. If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And that's really the question, isn't it? Who is Jesus? Is he the Son of God? Yes. Is he fully God? Yes. But he's also fully man. And really the Greek here, the, it assumes the reality of the statement. The devil is actually kind of saying here, in effect, I know you're God's Son, and, and, I, and you know you're God's Son. Now prove it. Command the stone to become bread. Use your divinity... And satisfy your need for food. Focus on yourself, Jesus. You're hungry. Now there's an interesting part of these temptations here, Luke's account, that I think is interesting. And if you go back to Psalm 106... Psalm 106 recounts the failures of the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness. And the failures of the children of Israel in the wilderness, the, the order of their failures matches the temptations that come to Jesus. Psalm 106 verses 14 and 15 recount the, the manna and quail incident of Exodus chapter 16 and Numbers 11. The psalmist writes how, the, how that God had delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land. And it tells us in verse 12 of Psalm 106, Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. But then the next verse says, They soon forgot his works and would not wait for his counsel. They were seized with a craving in the wilderness and tested God in the desert, he gave them what they asked for, but sent a wasting disease among them. That first part of verse 15 is a pretty dangerous thing. God gave them what they asked for, but they got more than they bargained for. You see, what happened was the children of Israel began to crave, the scripture says, the meat pots of Egypt. They got hungry in the wilderness. And rather than trusting in God's provision and waiting on God to supply their needs, they soon forgot his works and would not wait for his counsel. So they become hungry. 
and they begin to gripe and they begin to complain and they say, you know what? We were better off in Egypt. I'm hungry for some good meat. At least we had meat back in Egypt, Moses. We're hungry here. Now go to Jesus' temptation. The temptation to turn a stone into bread on the surface might sound like it's innocent, but it's really a spiritual temptation for the incarnate Son of God, who is fully man, to take matters into his own hands and utilize his divinity in order to have something to eat, rather than waiting on the Father to supply his need. Remember, why was Jesus in the wilderness? The Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. And the Spirit of God will never lead you where the grace of God can't keep you. And if Jesus, if Jesus is led into the wilderness, the Father will supply for him. Jesus wasn't fasting simply because he chose to fast. He was fasting because that's where the Spirit led him, and there was nothing to eat there. So whose job was it to take care of Jesus? Christ was tempted to provide for his own material needs apart from the will of God and go outside the natural order to meet his own physical needs. In other words, he was being tempted to momentarily suspend living as a real human and provide for his, spirit, his physical needs by utilizing his divinity. But that's not what he did. That's not what he did. Instead, he answered the devil and he said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. For 40 days, there's no evidence that the Father communicated with the Son. Now, the Trinity is not broken, but... Jesus is utterly alone in the wilderness. <clears throat> I have trouble going 40 minutes without eating. Let alone 40 days. If God cared, if the Father cared, He'd provide for you. Why don't you just provide for yourself? Have you ever heard the devil say something similar to you? Go back to the wilderness with the children of Israel. Why did they complain when they had no food? Because they did not trust the word of God who had been promised to take care of them, who had promised, God had promised, I'll take care of you. And what does Jesus quote? He quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Where Matthew gives this extended quote in Matthew's account, man shall not live by bread alone. And what Jesus is saying here in effect is, I don't need bread 
as much as I need the Word of God. Now you and I, we're not tempted to turn stones into bread because we don't have the power to do that. But we're tempted, rather than trusting in Him, we're tempted to go beyond the parameters of God's Word to satisfy our personal needs and desires. Why is it that people steal when they get hungry? Because they're not trusting God to provide. Because God said, I'll never leave my children begging for bread. God said he'd provide. I saw this morning a video from Scott Scobie, Sobie, who I showed last week in Ukraine. And again, God has provided miraculously for them food. God takes care of his children. But sometimes that might take 40 days. And are we going to trust him? We're too often, we're overreachers. We scheme and we plan for our own well-being, assuming God doesn't care or maybe God doesn't know our needs. And we're guilty of refusing to live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. But Jesus overcame the first temptation, the temptation of provision. And so the devil tried tactic number two. He tempts Jesus concerning power. Verse 5 says the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Luke just simply tells us that Satan took Jesus up. He doesn't tell us where he took him. Matthew's account says that he took Jesus up on a, on a mountain. And in a moment of time, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And notice that Jesus doesn't dispute what Satan says here. Satan says, he, he makes a claim here that he has authority over all the kingdoms of the world and he gives it to whom he pleases. That's what the devil claims. Now his authority that he has is the derived authority. It's God's world, not Satan's. But God has allowed Satan certain dominion over it for a time. But God's kingdom is breaking in to the kingdom of this world. But what was Satan offering Jesus? Satan was offering Jesus authority over this world without suffering. That's what he was offering him. One commentator put it this way, Jesus was made to hear the rustling of the world's flags flying in his honor. He could win the world without pain, the enemy promised. No weeping over Jerusalem, no crucifixion. The great countries of the world, Israel's elect nation, the mighty Roman Empire, and all the rest would open their gates to their new king. That's what Satan was promising. But Jesus chose the cross 
and the way of suffering. And now he's been given a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But Jesus chose the cross long before he ever went there. And the devil was tempting Jesus with power. And how did Jesus overcome? Well, he quotes Deuteronomy again. And in Deuteronomy, the children of Israel were warned about idolatry. Deuteronomy 6 says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. Psalm 106, remember I mentioned Psalm 106, and, and, and the, this temptation tells us in Psalm 106 how they made a calf, an orb, and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. That's what the children of Israel did. They chose another God. And what the devil was tempting Jesus with in his horrendous proposal was just worship me, Jesus. And I'll give you everything, all the kingdoms of this world. But just bow the knee to me first. But Jesus wasn't willing to fall for idolatry. Oswald Chambers said, Spiritual revolts means deliberately forsaking the glory, forsaking of God and signing on under another ruler. Let me ask you this morning, does this temptation apply to us? We're tempted all the time to take shortcuts to power. I, I see it in the church world. There's all kinds of pretending to have God's power in the church. There's any number of pastors and churches who will make all kinds of claims. God told us this, and God told us that. And God said, well, if you, if you, you know, they make all these promises. What are they claiming? They're claiming to have the power of God. But it's all just man-made. They're taking shortcuts to power. Idolatry tripped up Israel time and time again. But it did not trip up the Son of God. Jesus overcame the temptation to power. And so the devil tried another tactic. He took him up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the, te to the test. So how's Jesus been overcoming the devil? Well, he's been overcoming the devil by quoting Scripture to the devil through the, through the Word of God and through the Spirit of God and by faith in God, Jesus has been overcoming. Amen. And he's been quoting Scripture back to the devil. And so the devil says, Oh, you know the Bible. I know it too. You know, the devil knows the Bible. So he quotes it to Jesus. 
You know what passage you quoted? We quoted part of it earlier in the service. It's one of our favorite passages of Scripture. Most of us memorized it in the King James. Psalm 91, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. And it's from that psalm, Psalm 91, that the devil quotes to Jesus and tempts Jesus to presume, to presume upon the grace of God. The devil knows scripture, but the devil always uses bad hermeneutics. Anybody know what the word hermeneutics means? It means interpreting the book. All right, the devil always uses bad hermeneutics. He's using a defective hermeneutic. He's twisting and he's distorting Scripture in order to try to get Jesus to fall. Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12 says, For he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. That was a promise of God. But what the devil wanted Jesus to do was to take a promise of God and presume upon it and utilize it for their own benefit. How does Jesus respond? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6. As you tested him at Mesa. Psalm 106 verse 32 and 33 recounts it this way. They angered the Lord at the waters of Meribah and Moses suffered because of them for they embittered his spirit and he spoke rashly with his lips. How did God, how did they put God to the test at Mesa? Well, the Israelites were complaining again. They were complaining about God's provision. And you remember, God told Moses to point at the rock. But Moses became so angry at the Israelites for their sinful complaining that he strikes, he struck the rock. And in Exodus 17, it says that he called the name of the place Meesa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, now notice what they said, is the Lord among us or not? What were they doing? They're putting God to the test by their disgraceful, faithless actions. They're presuming upon God. And that's the account that Jesus quotes from when he responds to the devil and says, don't put God to the test. 
Israel did, and they were judged as a result. But Jesus overcame the temptation. He overcame the enemy. And verse 13 says, When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. He wasn't done. This wasn't the last temptation that Jesus faced. And then verse 14, Jesus went into the wilderness by the power of the Spirit. And verse 14, Jesus returned from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He went in with the Spirit and he left with the Spirit. You know, that's how I want to face temptation. I want to go in with the Spirit and I want to leave the temptation still with the Spirit of God not being grieved. And as a result, a report of him went throughout all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. I began the sermon by telling you again that Jesus, the second Adam, is greater than the first Adam. What's the difference? Well, when Adam was tempted, he fell, of course. But Jesus believed God. It's not simply that Jesus believed in God. He believed God in the midst of his crisis. What happens to us when we're put to the test? How do we respond? Do we respond like Adam did or like Jesus did? You see, it's one thing for us to say we believe in God. It's quite another thing for us to believe God. Now, I always try to close my sermons by application and a faith response. My goal is for you to respond in faith to truth. Not to simply respond by saying, I'll do better, I'll try harder. No, to respond in faith. So, let's ask the question, why is this text given to us? Is it so we'll trust God's word? Well, yes, we should trust God's word, right? Or is it so we'll trust God's son? Yes, it's so we'll trust God's son. It's both. But I think trusting in God's word is a secondary application. Jesus is the perfect interpretation. He is the one who perfectly obeyed God. He is God's son. Truly God, truly man. And my point is this. I I don't think Satan is so subtle to think that he could do with Jesus what he did with Adam and Eve. We're not as strong as Jesus, right? He gives us the power, but I think our primary application should be Jesus is God's son. Trust him. When we're faced with temptation, where do we go? We should run to Jesus. That's where we need to go when we're, when we're being tempted, when the devil comes in like a flood. 
It's not that we try to imitate Jesus. Yes, we should imitate Jesus, right? But primarily, we run to Jesus because he's the only one who can help us to overcome temptation. Not simply by us squaring our shoulders back and determining, oh, I'm going to be like Jesus. No, we run to Jesus as one who is desperate because, God, there's no other way that I can be an overcomer than to go to the one who overcame all for me. Are you still awake? That's why Hebrews said Jesus is our great high priest who was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And so we can approach boldly the throne of grace where we obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I believe Jesus didn't simply endure temptation so that we would have a model to follow but he endured temptation so that we would have find mercy when we're falling. When the devil comes in like a flood, you and I are not able in and of ourselves to overcome temptation. Yes, God always makes an escape, but that escape is in Jesus. That's where the escape is. So when, devil, when the devil comes against us, we must run to Jesus. He's our great high priest. He knows our weaknesses. He knows all about us. And he experienced the full range of temptation and yet was without sin. And so that means when we're in temptation, our best strategy is to go to Jesus because he's our strength. He's our shield. He's our great high priest. He's our victory. He's our confidence. You know, the reason I say all of that is because we can know the Word of God, right? You could memorize, and I know people of people who have memorized vast portions of Scripture. And you could memorize it all and yet still be far from God. So that's why I say our primary application, yes, we hide God's word in our hearts so that we will not sin against him. And yes, like Jesus, in our moments of temptation, I can tell you there have been times in temptation when scripture that I had forgotten I'd ever memorized came to mind and helped me. But ultimately... It's, it, it's Jesus who will help us to be victorious. So yes, we're going to hide God's word in our heart. We're going to do all of those things, but we always must remember that it won't be because of anything we do that helps us to, that, that makes it possible for us to overcome temptation. It's ultimately always Jesus. That's my point. You understand? It's always Jesus. Because he is the only one who faced temptation and did not sin. And as a result, he's our great high priest. And we can run to Jesus. Aren't you grateful this morning? Amen. I'm so thankful today we can run to Jesus. 
He is the chain breaker. He is the chain breaker. And I know time has gotten by, and then I'm closing. I'm hesitant to tell you what I'm about to tell you because I don't want it to sound like I'm reflecting any way negative on Christy. Because Christy was bound by the chains of addiction. And those are heavy chains that only Jesus can help somebody be free from. But several months ago, I took Christy to the Salvation Army trying to get her help. Some of you know this story. And we were there several hours because she had taken bags of stuff. She'd loaded up the back of my van. She was homeless living over here in this house across the street. And she had bags of stuff that honestly, and I don't say this again in any way to be negative toward Christy, so please understand my heart. She, she, her mind was, because of the drugs and everything else, was just clouded. But the stuff that she had in those bags, by any estimation, was just garbage. It was garbage. And they told her she could only have, I think, two bags of stuff. And so she spent hours outside, and I'm sitting out there with her, and she's sitting on the ground, sorting through her stuff. And she had some leftover food, some of which we had given to her, some bread from Mr. Wayne that he'd given her that night. And they told her, as soon as you get done here, we have a hot meal for you. And she kept delaying, kept fussing over, over this stuff she had that she couldn't give up. And she became more and more agitated. And I know it was the drugs. Until eventually, when, it finally, when we finally got her inside the doors, she still had an extra purse full of stuff. And they were telling her she needed to give, give it to me. And I told her, she had just piles of shoes. And I told her, Christy, I'll keep all that at the church for you. Just, just take what you need. They have everything you need here. Everything you need. And finally got her inside the doors and they told her that. And she'd become very angry to where she actually threatened to kill the lady there working and went after her throat and it was drugs. It was her mind was a mess. And again, this is not in any way to be negative to Christy. I just want you to hear this because I want you to see the picture. Because it's just like us. The things of this world are garbage in light of eternity. Jesus has promised us the great marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know what all that means, but I want to be there. And any of the things of this world are worthless in comparison. Are worthless. And again, I don't know where Christy is today. Only God knows, and He's a merciful God. 
But oh, I don't want any more of my people. I don't want to hang on. To anything, to anything that would destroy me. And if you've got chains, he's a chain breaker. Don't waste your life on junk. Junk. Please hear my heart, please. That was not any way meant to be negative to Christy other than just to tell you the story because I don't want any more. There are hurting people in this community just like Christy and I want God to help us to reach them. But you and I have got to be usable by God. I want you to stand with me this morning. Lord, we're so thankful for you this morning. We're so thankful for your mercy and your grace. Lord, none of us, none of us deserve your grace. All of us, Lord, have failed you in so many ways. But Lord, I'm so grateful today that you are a loving and a forgiving God. And Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning. Lord, if there's anyone here that your spirit has spoken to today, maybe they've been hanging on to stuff that they shouldn't be hanging on to. They're allowing something to come between you and them. Lord, I pray that you'll help them to just lay it all at your feet to lay their chains at your feet and say, Jesus, I believe you're the chain breaker. Anybody here need to pray this morning before we go? If you need to pray, you can come here to the front. We'll join you. We'll pray with you. Jesus is here. His presence is here. I had to take Christy home that night back home back to the house across the street unload all those bags of stuff and I told Christy on the way back I said Christy I want you to die on the streets You always wonder if you could have done more. But I'm doing what I can right now. I'm just asking you if there's chains, let Jesus break them. Let him break them. Anybody else want to come and join this one that's here this morning? Lord, again, we just thank you and we praise you this morning for your love and your grace. Help us, Lord. Help us to be people who love you with all our heart and love others 
Help us to love the Christies in this community that need you. In Jesus' name.